Welcome to the Engaging Personalities Podcast. I'm Anders Belanger, founder and CEO of Engageify, where we're on a mission to rehumanize business through engagement. We believe that we can all be more successful if we can command attention and deepen connection. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on a future episode. So let's get ready to engage. Our guest today is a friend of mine from the world of trade shows, and yet he learned his craft in theater and in the art of clowning. Whether he is speaking as a corporate face of a Fortune 500 company, or he's bringing laughs to thousands under the big top, his passion is to engage with others and help them engage with each other. He is a speaker, trainer, trade show presenter, and the author of the book, Wink, Transforming Public Speaking with Clown Presence. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Don Culliver, Don, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anders. It's great to be here. And man, I'm going to steal that intro because that is a sweet, <laughs> that was <an> amazing intro. <laughs> well, hey, it, it borrows from your stuff, so it's, it's all good. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Um, we were just, before we started recording, the behind the scenes, uh, we were just talking about we get to see each other at different cities and different places. And I was kind of like, I, don't even, I didn't even know where you, you live. So for the benefit of the, the listener, where, where, do you, where are you located? Yes, I'm located in Silicon Valley, south of San Francisco. Uh, we call it the Bay Area, but then I realize it's pretty uh, location-centric because people are like, what bay? So it's San Francisco <laughs> Bay Area. Right, yeah, there are a few bays, right? That's right. So before we get any further, um, and, you know, the, the clowning, just, just like magicians, sometimes certain images prop, uh, prop up or, or, or pop up, I should say, and, and I do remember one of the first, you know, clowns that I met that weren't of the birthday party variety. I think I insulted him because I, as a magician, I thought, you know, birthday parties, that sort of thing. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you kind of talk about what, what is clowning in the sense of, you know, in the clown presence that you're talking about with your book? What, what is that? Can you define that for us? Absolutely. Well, first, I want to address the elephant in the room of creepy clowns, because uh, I get it. I get it. It, Pennywise, clowns are creepy. I get it. There's a word, you know, cholerophobia. It's like, it's not in the uh, official list of, of ailments, but uh, they say, uh, psychologists theorize that people are freaked out by clowns because with the makeup and the nose and the masks and things, yeah. you can't really see what that person is really feeling what's really going on with them so you don't trust them you aren't quite sure how to react or act around them uh and i wrote that book wink and i specified it as clown presence and clown mm -hmm. presence i see is the exact opposite of not knowing what's going on with that person uh, i propose that clown presence is being completely authentic, completely transparent to, to the audience. And as far as clown goes, what that means is allowing yourself to be affected by your audience. It's easy to see presenters who just shift into robot mode and no matter what happens in the audience, they're just powering through. But when you're utilizing this kind of clown presence, if the audience seems to not be tracking with you, you're able to be aware of that pivot, acknowledge it, and maybe change your presentation, engage with them a little bit. So it's just a heightened awareness from the stage. Interesting. You know, and that, that, that jives with something that 
you know, I, I often will say is that, you know, and I, I often say shows, but presentations, right? Just because I'm, you know, but there's, there's the show you want to do, which is this tight, perfect thing that, you know, you'd want recorded for your promo video or this, this, you know, this, you're looking so good and everything's perfect. Uh, and then there's the show that the audience needs, right? Or the presentation the audience needs, meaning you are moving with them and you are referencing them and, and things are happening and it's not perfect, but you're embracing possibly the chaos or embracing whatever is happening, which makes it so much more memorable and so much more interesting to that audience. So um, that seems like it's, it's very uh, similar and, and, and aligned in, in that sense. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to ask you, like, because because yeah. uh, you do magic, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not using the right terminology, but uh, is that correct? Yeah, you know what? In within our company, we we say it's it's infotaining, and this is kind of along your clown lines. Is that we don't want people thinking. Uh, you know, pulling rabbits out of hats, uh, you know, cape and tails and, 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 you know, top hat and all of that, right? It's the idea that the presentation is all about communicating a message and it's moving people in a direction of understanding what the company does through visual metaphors that are often, you know, magic effects, right? So I like it. visual yeah. metaphors. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So with your visual metaphors, do you find you must do you, do you are there moments in your presentation where you kind of have a decision tree of like the audience may respond better to this metaphor and this or do you have something that you do in this case like i'm fascinated I, by that yeah i mean like once i start there are some some effects that you can kind of jazz meaning like you know what i'm going to cut this one a little short i'm not going to use all of the scripting i used on this normally we can still bring it to the end and, and you can do that so there's certain things that you just kind of are filling the audience you're like yeah i'm not going to bother with that portion or something um there is also i guess kind of maybe almost like a commitment level to the material too and this is something i'm sure I'd, i want to find out more about you because i know i know you've had to commit fully in in some in some of your uh, assignments uh maybe we'll get into that um in, in some of your presentations and in, in, in theater pieces uh where you know i might go harder if I know I'm going to get a bigger crowd or if I know there's going to be this, but if you're working too hard for too small of a crowd, it can look maybe desperate or something. So kind of scaling up or scaling down, depending on, you know, what they're giving you, um, you know, just being careful not to never wanting to repel people by going too over the top with whatever kind of moment it is. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's energy and other things in there as well, you know, that, that play, uh, so speaking of commitment, um, what can you can you tell us a little bit about your background in in theater and clowning and kind of, you know, how you got into it? Sure. Uh, well, I was a television producer for like 15 years in Los Angeles, nonfiction TV, primarily uh, HGTV Food Network. I toured with Rachel Ray with her show $40 a day. I wrote House Hunters, which is a big show for like 10 years. Yeah. And uh, I was doing that in LA. Then I moved to Portland. I was doing that. And I actually went through like uh, a rather unpleasant divorce. And uh, in the midst of that, I kind of was like, you know what? I got to do something just for myself. 
And that's when I took my first improv class. Wow. And it was one of those situations where I walked out of that first class and I was kind of like, where has this been all my life? This is, this is my jam. And so I, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever made decisions. You just made decisions purely on love, not on any financial uh, reason or, or career choice. So I just loved it so much. I was like, you know what? I'm going to progress in this just purely because I love it. I don't care. I'm just going to take the next indicated action. And it led me, one thing led to another. I ended up in sketch comedy. I ended up in physical comedy, which brought me into clowning. And uh, and then I was quite good at that. And I ended up touring for a company called Spiegel World. They have a show called Absinthe at Caesars Palace. And I was the host clown in a part of a North American tour for that. And then I had a short stint with the Blue Man Group in New York City. And yeah. As as a Blue Man or? Yep. You, yep. you were a Blue Man. Blue man. Wow. Yes. That's, uh, see, what a, what a varied background. And I didn't know anything about the um, TV work. So that's fascinating. So I, you know, most of my performer friends, you know, get into it young, right? And so, you know, it's neat that you had that kind of, uh, well, almost like, something inside of you that needed to be expressed and you found well, that's that that's the cool thing that's the awesome thing about it like I came to this like early 40s and so there was none of that need of like I gotta get booked I gotta get a gig so it was just like what's the most fun thing and at every moment Anders where like I was stepping out on stage for Blue Man or for Spiegel World I was like I can't believe they're letting me do this but this is the best <laughs> and so it was always, yeah. I was grateful for all of it. Oh, that's so fascinating. That's cool. So let, let's, go, let's go back to, you know, your book, Wink, and, and Clown Presence. And, and again, we kind of, we, we dealt with a lot of the connotations of clown. We put that aside. We don't have to do that. And, and then you, last week, we touched on it. You were talking about being very sensitive or aware of what the audience is, is where they're at and, you know, and, and how they're feeling. How does this also relate to speakers? So let's say there's some some presenters or speakers listening to this podcast. Um, what, what are some some kind of clown presence tips or things that we could kind of discuss to kind of just get them a better sense of that other than just being, you know, sensitive to the audience? Sure. Well, I think what would be most helpful for your audience first is to kind of define two terms uh, that relate to clown and relate to presentations. The first is called le jeu, which is the game in French. Mm -hmm. And this is a clown uh, concept, but it's as the way it applies to speakers is if you have your content in one part of your brain, you also have to have your engagement with your audience in another part of your brain. It's easy to really focus on content at the expense of your engagement with the audience. With le jeu, le jeu, you find pleasure, like real pleasure and joy in just the engagement with the audience, almost more than your content at sometimes. Like if someone raises a hand or is nodding, you're like, you're, oh, thank, I'm, it looks like you're following what I'm talking about. That's awesome. Like just, so you're kind of splitting your attention between those two things. But the main thing is finding joy in it. A lot of speakers as they start are terrified to acknowledge the audience. And you need to do enough low stakes uh, practice to where you actually enjoy it and, and are looking forward to it. Right. And that takes lots of low stakes practice. So that's one term, le jeu. Right. 
and well, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I let's let's crack that open a little bit because I do love that idea and the low stakes practice right away is a great thing. Like so many people want to be great instantly, right? And it's just practice, getting in reps, that sort of thing. And if they're low stakes, then you can afford to take risks, right? And I think clowning, there is a lot of risks being taken to be able to, and improv, right? Just to, taking that leap to see what is on the other side and and exploring that, that side of things. Um, something you said there about, you know, being fully, you know, someone raises their hand and you're all in and you're like, yes, right? Like this is a, there is that relationship where it's not you doing it for them, but it's us doing it for each other. There's more of a co-creation. Would you, would you say that's kind of the case? Absolutely. And that leads to another clown term called complicite. And that is, I like to imagine it as, to use your a metaphor, uh, if you start your presentation on two sides of a table, right? And you're on one side, the audience is on the other, and you're kind of pushing your or, or suggesting your content across that table. With complicite or what you're talking about, through engagement, you move to the same side of the table as your audience. You're both looking together at that content, mutually creating how to best create that transference of information. And that may be you have to let go of some of, some of your carefully crafted structure you may have to pivot to the third point or something like that or acknowledge a question or if there's like something really clearly going on in the room that day you may need to take a moment and acknowledge that uh so it's really like you said a co-creation of meaning at that moment there's there's that term asynchronous versus synchronous communication mm -hmm. uh with asynchronous it's like go to look at this video I recorded of my content, or here's this document of my content, you can ingest it on your own time. Whereas with synchronous communication, it's, it's a, it's a reserved time, you're both there. And for me, when I've been in presentations, and frankly, when I started teaching transferring my public speaking class to virtual at the top at the top of pandemic, a lot of my information was just one way delivering it to my yeah. students. And I got to tell you, my first couple of classes, I got some pretty rough feedback because I wasn't making it worth their time. There wasn't any reason for us to be there at the right? same time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. If, if your listeners are creating a presentation, have them ask themselves, is there some reason why everybody's here at the same time for this presentation? Is there some value add, mm -hmm. some engagement? Yeah, it, it reminds me of, you know, uh, PowerPoint slides that have that you're reading. This could have been a handout, right? You're not really required if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, something earlier you, you talked about being on the same side of the, the table, the complicite side of it uh, of clowning. Um, for people who are in sales that are listening to this, it reminds me of, of of a sales tip where instead of sitting across from the table of someone, where it's more of even in in terms of um, body language and going back to, you know, ancestral, you know, caveman days, you know, standing facing someone square to them is very confrontational, right? Like that's how, you know, men fight in, in different things, right? So getting beside them all of a sudden changes that dynamic so much. So that idea of, you know, and I'm talking literally coming across the table, you're kind of talking about in the presentation, that's how we're viewing things and we're looking at things. But I, I, again, you going 
getting on the same team uh, it seems to be a, a piece of that. And while I'm talking in circles about this, it's just so many things are coming up for me right now, Don. Um, a friend of mine who's a, a pickpocket would talk about if you slide in beside someone, so your shoulder is almost touching their shoulder, you can get so much closer to someone and then be able to do the pickpocketing and then feel comfortable as opposed to getting face right up in their face trying to pickpocket because of the energy is just so, right? And depending on your culture, that distance of what is comfortable changes, right? Um, yeah, I didn't know so. that you had a big pickpocket audience. I would have changed my answers to your question. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, yeah. I'm just saying all of that, <laughs> that energy, that angle, that everything, you know, that matters. So, um, but getting on side, right? That's the making the audience complicit in your game that you're that you're playing, right? Yeah, uh, and it's interesting that you you mentioned you know campfire and and kind of ancient yeah. vibes. That's also. I just used it last week in a training. It's also a great kind of paradigm if you are creating a presentation or creating a story to use in a presentation to shift from just the idea of like, of because a lot of presentations in business are, are you're, it's kind of boardroom speak, right? Yeah. It can be a useful exercise when you're working on your presentation or rehearsing to think, what if I was delivering this around a campfire? How would I speak differently? And it's, there's a, there's a palpable difference. If you're telling a story around a campfire, if you think back to when you were a kid of like, I want to tell you a story. Yeah. It's just, you use different words. You just use different intonations. It's, I think it's a useful exercise. I, I like that. It's kind of an energy shift. And, and there's something that I do in, when, when I train uh, speakers is I have different, um, what do we call like archetypes that we put on. And so one of them is the storyteller where that's their assignment is to do their whole presentation, kind of like, you know, circle around guys, I want to tell you a little, little story, right? And it has this warmerness to a uh, warmth to their voice. And it just, it makes them behave differently, right? And then sometimes I have them do them as a coach, like, okay, boys, pop a squat here, come on now, here's, we're gonna, you know, and then you kind of get into this sort of raw, raw kind of uh, thing, but for different people, you know, different things uh, work. Uh, you talked about stories, so let's get into that for a second, because, uh, you know, I know you deal with a lot of technical presenters and what is a way that technical presenters can kind of use story to better, you know, convey that information and, and make, and I mean, stories are an engagement hack, I believe, right? As soon as you tell a story, people are like, they're, they're in it to win it. Right. So what, what are some ways that presenters could kind of, where they got dry material, add that storytelling element? Well, you know, as I'm sure you have, and I'm sure your audience has, there's, I've read a whole bunch of books about business storytelling. There's a lot of both business and classic screenwriting storytelling, hero's journey, uh, uh, the mono myth, all these things. And it's like, look at Star Wars, hero's journey. And I've found that that can be tough to implement when you're talking about a technical presentation. Uh, so I ended up distilling what seemed to be the most useful thing down to a three-part framework, setting problem decision. Uh, so first of all, and, and at the baseline, a relatable protagonist. So if you want to tell a story, think of who your audience is and then make sure the protagonist is relatable to them. And then as far as setting problem decision, setting 
always uh, mention the emotion and environment of every part of your story, emotion and environment. So for example, um, the, have you heard, Have maybe your, your audience has heard of the mother of all demos. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. It's, it's on YouTube. I think it was 1968. Uh, the Stanford Research Institute was kind of up against the wall. They were developing lots of stuff for the government in the Cold War, lots of technology. And there was a big IEEE conference in San Francisco. And I forget the name of the main guy, Douglas Engelbart. Douglas Engelbart was the main guy. And there was lots of tension in the team because they were going to lose funding. And they were really nervous, very uh, stressful in, at Stanford. They had to reposition their technology uh, for consumers to show it was useful to the world, not just for the Cold War. And this was fall in, in San Francisco. It was foggy. It was cold. So what I did there is I talked about the setting. I also talked about the high stakes problem, SP, setting problem. The problem was high stakes. They're going to lose their funding. They're going to lose the possibility of continuing on with their research. And then they made a conscious decision to do something about this problem. And they created the mother of all demos. They didn't call it that then. It became known as the mother of all demos. And they... Uh, it was the first video conference, live video conference from uh, Stanford to San Francisco. They showed the first instance of word processing, first instance of hyperlinks, the first time we've ever seen a mouse. And this stuff didn't even come to fruition for decades, for decades after. They, the world had never seen anything like wow. it. But what they did was they... Found, they took their technology and they showed the need that the audience didn't even know that they had yet. Uh, but in terms of the setting problem decision framework, they made that conscious decision to do something. And what that shows your audience when you're telling a story is, hey, I related to this protagonist. They had a problem. They did something about it. They had agency. I can do something about my problem. Yeah. Life is not terrible. So that's, uh, I like that SPD uh, framework to help people make more compelling. Yeah, that's stories. brilliant. I, and I, I'm always saying too, like, if we want to create engagement, we need to have some emotion in, in whether it's in our presentation, talking about it, but the pushback that, you know, you get from people is like, well, we can't, we don't want to, you know, get teary eyed and we don't want to like make it emotional. Right. But it's the idea. But what I like, what you just talked about there is having that, that uh, protagonist in your story, whether it is a day in the life of some, you know, whoever, X, Y, Z title at a company that doesn't even exist, but it's representing the generic experience of your prospects that could be in front of you or the, the audience there. And so by, by labeling, you know, uh, those emotions and how they're feeling, I can just see people going, yeah, you know, and, and in my trade show presentations, I'll, I have a picture of a frustrated man. And I do, I don't know if you've ever seen me do that trap door thing where I stick my hand through the door. And it, it, anyways, I'll show it to you sometime. But basically, it's hard for me to see because there's such huge crowds around you all the time. Oh, oh thank you very much, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have a man and he's pulling his hair out, basically. And, and whatever crowd I have, you know, you see this frustrated man here. Some of you might know him, some of you might uh, be him. He's the frustrated, whatever title, right? IT manager, whatever, or, you know, cloud architect, whatever he is. 
he's experiencing this symptom, this symptom, this symptom. How many people can relate? Raise your hand. And when you see the nods of the heads and the hand raises, you know that's what they're experiencing too, and they've connected to it. So you have that kind of buy-in. So that's that same kind of piece where the symptom and the emotion and the the, the well, the, it's the or the setting that you're talking about. It's that people need to relate to whatever that is, the problem piece before we can take them to the promised land, right? Take them to yeah. the solution. Can I give so. you an exercise that your your, yeah. your viewers might, your For listeners sure. might? It's called the setting exercise. It's okay. kind of, um, it's taken from improv, but tweaked for, for our use. If, if, if a team has been working on a story, right? Uh, for marketing or something, and they want to practice telling it, and they want to work on that setting aspect. And when I say setting, I mean environment and emotion. Uh, you can take four people. One person runs through the marketing story. Mm -hmm. uh, the other three people listen, and they can interrupt that person telling the story at any time with three words, environment, emotion, or advance. And if someone says environment, the person needs to pause the story and begin describing the environment in that moment in the story in greater and greater detail. We're talking color smell yeah. taste all kinds of weird anything just just keep describing it until someone else in the audience says advance they can also interrupt with emotion and if someone says emotion you got to pause the story and then describe the emotions of everybody at that moment in the story in greater and greater detail until someone says advance and after you make it through first and and i encourage the audience to be pretty ruthless but with interrupting yeah. But after you make it through the story, debrief these, these three people and ask what the most compelling part of that story was. And a lot of times you'll be surprised to see that it was one of those moments where you felt you were over-describing maybe emotion or something, or it felt sure. weird or cheesy. Uh, it's incredible uh, how much more the description can a story can handle and how much it helps to make a story compelling. That's a great exercise. Thanks so much for sharing that because I think I can see people really juicing up their stories and their presentations by giving it that texture that would come out of that exercise. You know, even videotaping or recording yourself doing it would be a great way to kind of come back to it too, to kind of see, you know, uh, what, what, what was that texture? What you just mentioned too reminds me that, you know, us being judges of ourselves is not a good way of doing feedback typically, right? Like we, you know, I'll sometimes put people through different exercises and, and want them to play bigger, right? Like just go for it, like, you know, commit harder. And they, they think they are like ridiculous, you know, at whatever level they're at. And then you pull the audience and they're like, no, he was great. That's perfect. You know, and even though they think they're over the top. So it's like, you know, getting that feedback from other people is so, so critical. So. Hey, you know, yeah. what? hey, I'm a big fan of everything, you know, engagement and, and you know, you're, we're, we're singing from the same song sheet here. Um, what are some tips that you like to offer um, when you're training people to, to create that engagement? Uh, yeah, creating engagement in your oh, your presentations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's four. I'll, I'll give you four. Uh, sure. First is make it in the present, like we already talked about, how can you make it present? Meaning, can you have people do an activity? Can you pass around a physical prop, something like that? Anything to get it off the screen will click people back into like, oh my gosh, I'm here, I'm in the moment to engage their other senses. This works well 
Also in virtual meetings, you can ask people to, in, in your intro or icebreaker, hey, look out the window, type in the weather into the chat. Anything to get them out of just kind of sitting back and like watching Netflix, please just throw me the information. So first is make it present. Second is make it about them. We talked about this too. Can you acknowledge the audience? If someone's nodding, yes, I see you're nodding, Anders. Great, looks like you're on board. Anything you can do to acknowledge the audience and bring them in will also engage. The third tip is make it personal. If you can, uh, this is a tip I use for data heavy presentations. If you're, if you just have a bunch of charts or a bunch of graphs, or you're presenting a bunch of data, it can get really dry. A quick and easy way to re-engage an audience in the middle of that is give your personal reaction to one of those uh, pieces of data. Like, you know, here's our sales, you know, folks, I was personally really surprised when I saw this, I did not expect this it kind of steps out of the data yeah. train for a while and brings it back personal. And then the last tip is make it real. And this is probably where uh, you and I might differ a little bit. Like I love imperfection in a presentation. If it's, I think it's important to rehearse as, as much as you possibly can be utterly prepared. But if something goes wrong or you had a small blunder, if utilized correctly, I think you can engage even better with an audience if you are authentically human in that moment. Uh, there was a study in 1966, you may have heard of it, uh, a social psychologist by the name of Elliot Aronson. He did a study and he, and he called his findings the pratfall effect. He had two highly competent groups of presenters. One was flawless, one had a small blunder, they spilled their coffee. And then he pulled the audience after, which was more likable. And as you'd expect, because I'm telling this story, the ones who spilled the coffee were more likable. But there was a second part of the research. He had unprepared presenters, kind of incompetent presenters, same two groups. One didn't spill their coffee, one did. The presenters, the incompetent presenters who spilled their coffee were rated as the, were rated as the least likable of all. So kind of the takeaway is, Prepare as much as you can, but if you have an imperfection, the PowerPoint goes out, you spill your drink, you forget something and you catch yourself back up, embrace it. And uh, I have a framework too that can help with that, but uh, it may be the thing that your audience engages the most with. Right. And it's just that, you know, if, if someone is flawless, it's kind of like they're too perfect. Right. But if there is that that humanizing that happens, then people feel connected because they they've been there themselves. Right. That's that's kind of that piece. So there is there's that connection with that person because they see themselves in that person, in a sense. Is that kind of the the gist of that? Oh, that's that's fascinating. I mean, I do magically speaking, I don't want tricks to go wrong, but I do embrace things that happen that are out of the norm. You know, that's, that's what people will remember. So no, I, I, I do agree with you, but at the same time, I want to, I want to have uh, it's, it's kind of like a juggler. Actually, speaking of that, uh, one of my best friends is a, a professional juggler, Robin Chestnut, and he would do a thing where he would do a juggle, throw one up in the air, do a dive roll and then catch the club and start juggling. Right. And wow. he'd wind the audience up to do a big rhythmic clap and he'd get ready and he found that if he missed a couple and he got on the third one, the reaction was so much better than if he just nailed it on the first one. 
So it'd be funny because I'd, I'd seen his show so many times, I'd be like, I bet she misses this one, you know, to people. And then, you know, I, I'd be right. But it was just such a more of an emotional journey, too, because he's defeated and the audience starts doing the clap again to kind of like wind him up, like kind of try again kind of thing. And it was just kind mm -hmm. of a warm, heartfelt moment in his show that, you know, it was, it was, it was neat. So it worked. So there's I, a, have you ever, you probably have seen the 2007 iPhone launch Steve Jobs yeah, presentation yeah, yeah. Uh, in the first, like third, his third sentence or something. And I play this in my classes. He has a, he misspeaks. And I've seen it so many times, I've started to wonder, was that a scripted error? Because he, that guy was so prepped. I mean, he's legendary in, in how yeah. he rehearsed. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if he added in the mistake to engage with the audience more. He, and you know, Steve Jobs was not the most likable guy, right? Nope. Like he, and, and so to think that he would need some likability or, or something that would take him down a few notches, um, you know, that's, that's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to rewatch that now too. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you see what, uh, <laughs> compare notes. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Hey, um, if people want to, you know, and I'm, I'm going to buy your book, I got to get on that. So where can people find your book? Um, well, my books at Amazon and across okay. every possible platform you can imagine. So, uh, yeah, easy enough. Awesome. And then if people want to reach out to you, Don, um, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, I, I mainly interact via LinkedIn. So send me a connection request on there and also doncolliver.com. And I have another exercise. If any of your in, uh, audience is curious, this is an exercise to build what I talked about at the top of holding both your content and your engagement with your audience and your brain at the same time. You can get this if you go to doncolliver.com forward slash engage. You get a free PDF download of that. Awesome. And and, and Colliver is C-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Right? Correct. Thank you for spelling that out. Yes. Awesome. Well, we should do this again, Don, because um, I know there's we can probably talk about this for a long time, but, uh, you know, yeah. keep, keep the podcast bite-sized is my goal. So uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. I'm sure I'm going to see you uh, down the road somewhere. Um, you know, isn't that, a, I think that's a circus saying too, down the road, right? You don't say bye, you just say down the road. Yeah, I think that is a circus thing, for sure. <laughs> so thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you, Anders. All right, and to all of our listeners, until next time, stay engaged. Thank you so much for listening to Engaging Personalities. If you believe this world needs more engagement and you're an industry leader or you have an interesting take on rehumanizing business, go to go.engageify.ai slash podcast hyphen guest to apply and come on the show. If you got something out of this interview, do you mind sharing it on your social media? Just grab a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show. Include the hashtag engaging personalities. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any episode. Go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? 
go to our website, engageify.ai, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and stay engaged. Thank you.